0: Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. This work began in April of 2002. Yeah. Matthew and I can look backwards to gain confidence that our faithful shepherd has been leading us to these days of mature ministry as one corporate body of Christ. Amen. This is uh, not our first rodeo. Which means that every failure, every venture, everything that we've attempted for God is serving to inform and empower our actions today. Amen.
1: Look, saints, we want you to know that our ministry is not based on the the pretense of our own perfection. Not at all. It is based on the practice of being perfected. Come on. Being perfected. This is the way of life we see identified in the word of God. And this is the method of our ministry. So we want you to take a look at our first slide that begins this understanding. This is first Timothy six, 12 fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Look, the phrase that begins in verse 12, fight the good fight. In Greek, it is agonizo, ton, kalon, agona. Nailed that. Got it. (laughs) This phrase I can personally identify with. Because it is the process that Paul is encouraging Timothy in. The true Christian walk is agonizing the good agony.
0: Can somebody say amen to that? Look at how the words are defined in the complete word study dictionary. That will be our next slide. Straining every nerve to the uttermost towards the goal. Beautiful, good, useful, advantageous, important, praiseworthy, and desirable contention. Strife, boxing, wrestling, contest for victory. Uh. While we fully realize that most believers have absolutely no idea what we're talking about, they may have heard these words and... Even preached eloquent sermons on the subject while wearing their pretty little ties and their cute little suits. Oh, yeah. But most Christians are far too prestigious to have actually acknowledged much less experience. A beautiful, advantageous, important, praiseworthy, and desirable wrestling and straining with every nerve towards victory with their own failures. You'll never hear what they are. Their testimony is always something that happened 40 years ago and how blessed they've been since. Hmm. Our story is a little different. Much. And Much. our story includes you. Yeah. Uh, Matthew and I are not pretty pre-packaged, perfect little Christian bookstore presentations. That's, that's not who we are. No. Our lives have often been marked by failure, yes, by flaws, by faithlessness. That's an agonizing thing to face. What we've come to realize is that the agony of the sifting process is what actually sets the table for really anointed ministry.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Look, in fact, that's the title of today's message. Sifting sets the table. Say it with me. Sifting sets the table. This is going to be a beautiful day today, church. An advantageous day today. In fact, it'll be useful and desirable. You're going to walk out of here living in the victorious anointing that causes you to win the great contest of victory today. Somebody say amen in the house of God. Look, we've been blessed by a plethora of messages. In fact, last Sunday, the message, draw up the battle lines was preached in it. You were reminded of our three year objectives and that feature two years of building and equipping this body building itself up. This ministry will largely be your family ministering to other families within this body. Did you guys get that? And you were given insight into the third year when we will all turn outward towards the very nations. That's something that we can all look forward to and enjoy the preparation leading into it. The battle lines have been drawn. Your convictions are set. You will strive and overcome so that in all things divine and human, get this, saints, you are the anointed minister of the gospel that God has chosen to use in his kingdom.
0: Somebody just say it out loud in faith. I I am am an anointed minister. An anointed minister. We were all blessed by the surprise visit of Pastor Slaughter and his amazing wife, Lindy. Yes. They preached on many of our New Year's themes without even knowing what they were. Not only did we not tell them, I didn't tell them they were preaching until they were on their way to the building. Remember, their message was, you give them something to eat. This is because your loving Father has set your vision. And he's going to help you accomplish that vision. The central theme in their message was people... Are the point. Yeah. Did y'all catch that? Yeah. Every weakness, every failure, every flaw, every faithless area that you contend with in your own life is an opportunity to feed others with the supernatural manna that came from your own transformation in your heart during that failure. And you then feed others with the manna you yourself were just given. See, that is a secret To ministry. The better you know yourself and your own failure, the more power you're in touch with to help others struggling in all of the same areas. And if you protect yourself, then you neuter yourself spiritually. That's true. Let's begin with this principle. We're going to make this uh, easy to graph today or take notes on. You already have everything that you need. Yeah. That's why we spent the month of December preaching about the genuine anointing and all of the things that are already in you. You do not lack anything. If you're full of the Holy Ghost, you have everything that you need. And if you're not full of the Holy Ghost, you can get that way before you leave today. It's one of the things that our ministry does. Now, when we say this, we're not blowing smoke up your salvation. It's what the Bible already declares about all true believers. And I can testify. I would tell you the truth. Most of you are genuine, pure believers. Look at what the Bible declares about you. You are a son. Yes. You are a co-heir. You are seated in the heavenly realms. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are full in Christ. You are clothed with Christ. You are a participator in the divine nature. You are strengthened with all power. You are an ambassador of God. You are the dwelling place of God. You are a holy and royal priest. Saints, you are God's inheritance. So you have everything you need. This is how Adonai has always done it. He credits you with supernatural transformation. And then you get to agonize the good agony (laughs) of making that heavenly truth a reality on earth in your daily actions. You can imagine that's going to involve a lot of failure. Which will in turn give you the opportunity to receive supernatural transformation and have something to minister with.
1: Do you guys want supernatural transformation? Yes. Well, look, this supernatural power, same supernatural power, supernatural power, supernatural. <laughs> this very same supernatural power and the need to agonize the good agony. It marked God's people, Israel, yeah. as a nation from the beginning of when he began to form them. Want you consider something? Look at this next slide. As you're looking at this, starting at the top, the Nile River, right? Let me give you some, some scientific factual data here. Oh. The Nile River has a flow rate of 99,940 cubic feet per second. Oh, Somebody that's said that's a whole whole lot. Whole lot. And yet, The transforming power of God was with Israel to turn every single one of those cubic feet of water into blood as a testimony that he was with his people, Israel. Oh, and it continues in Exodus 16. When you do the math, God provided the equivalent of 1,232 semi trucks full of manna
0: every week for his people. Every week, his supply chain logistics were better than some <laughs> leaders. <laughs> so, look, in order to visualize this, right,
1: that number of trucks over the course of a year would stretch from the eastern boundary of Texas, otherwise known as Louisiana. Yes, and goes to the farthest western border
0: of Texas. New Mexico.
1: (laughs) That's not even mentioning the supernatural miracle that occurred. Get this 2,080 times over the course of 40 years. And this is how the manna doubled on Friday. It stopped on Saturday and it resumed back on Sunday. Over the course of 40 years, that happened 2,080 times How can we not see the evidence of God's supernatural power transforming as he has always done with his people? Next, when Israel needed water, because with manna, you do need water.
0: And this water... Eating manna bread makes your throat dry.
1: It does. It does. You need something to dip it in. (laughs) So, water that is needed in the desert. Psalm 78 verse 15 says... The water God provided was as deep as the seas. Yeah. Since there there were by conservative estimates about 3 million Israelites involved in the event, that was enough water provided to give water to every person in the state of Arkansas. 3 million people. And God did it every day for 40 years. And he did it to show that his transforming power was with his people, Israel. So look, in number 16, the earth swallowed those that would not be transformed. And in the very same moment, avoided
0: those that wanted the transforming power at work within them. Imagine an earthquake strikes Los Angeles and it only swallows (laughs) those that are in rebellion and it spares every other person.
1: That would be a glorious sight. <laughs> we continue on in Joshua 10. Even the stellar rim stood still so that the supernatural transforming power of God could continue to provide testimony to his will being performed by his people. Yeah. And we don't have enough time today. We don't have no time to tell you about the bones that raised the dead, donkeys that testified, and the blood of lambs that saved nations. Let's just say that God's people have always had everything
0: that they needed. Since you're not acquiring what you need along the way. I know you think that that's true. You... You believe that every time you pick up a teaching, every time, like, I got a new spiritual gift added. That's simply not the scriptural testimony. The table has already been set. I want to show you what I mean. Is that all right? Good, because it's what we're going to do. Exodus 13, we're going to begin in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country. Though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. See, Israel had many battles ahead of them. But the loving father knew the order that those battles needed to occur in. Yeah, The battles were all going to come. But the father only allowed the battles in the order that his people would be benefited by them. That ought to be a comforting thought to you today. Yeah. Whatever has come into your life this week, whatever contention or latest emergency that you have, it's only come in the order that God allowed it to come. And that is because he is a good father. Amen. Pick up with me in verse 18. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Were they ready? Does the scripture say they were ready? They were ready from day one. They had everything that they needed from day one, but they were on a process of discovery that allowed them to find out this truth. See, you have always had everything that you need, but it's through the process of failure, recovery, and restoration that you discover this truth. Yes. The words translated as ready for battle come from the Hebrew phrase, Ham museum And it literally means lined up in an orderly array for battles that would come. They were ready for battle means they were lined up in an orderly array for what would come. So in one sense, that's Yahweh Sabaot just putting his troops in rows. But in another sense, the battles were lined up for them and they were lined up for the battles in the order God wanted them. Yes. When you think on this for a moment, saints, you can rest assured all of your battles have been lined up from the beginning. Mm. And what's happening, I mean, do you think it surprised God that Ibrahim would have a battle for his residency in the United States? That it would be a difficult battle, that it would drag out for years, that he'd get told no again and again and again all in one day? But he would also walk away with a testimony. Don't act like God is surprised by what's happening in your body, in your life, in your marriage. He lined up these battles for you. All of your battles have been lined up from the beginning. And your father is teaching you how to agonize the beautiful, (laughs) desirable, praiseworthy contest for victory. The table has already been set. This is what makes this next verse so important. Are y'all ready for it? Verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Uh Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. See, each of these battles will reveal something about your need for God's transforming power. This is not because you don't have everything that you need. It's because of all of the things you have that you don't need. Ah, that's good. Yeah. Let's catch that one more time for you. It's not because you don't have everything you need. It's because all of the things that you have that you don't need. Okay, I can see that heavy moment is sitting on you. You're looking at me like monkeys staring at a computer. All of you close your mouths so the gnats and flies will stop circulating and I'll just, I'll say it for you. You ready? You carry around death. You don't need fears. You don't need pride. You don't need satanic opinions. You don't need you carry around faithlessness that you don't need. Yeah. You carry around self-determination. You got a whole trailer load full of that that you don't need. These things must be sifted out of you. Yeah. The worst part is that you don't even know that they are there until it is revealed to you through the sifting process in a battle that you most definitely lost. If you've not lost battles because of something, you have not lost the battle because you didn't have what you needed. It's much, much more sobering than that. You lost the battle because of the things that you do possess... And shouldn't. It's not that you weren't anointed enough. It's that you were carrying pride with you. It's not that you don't have enough of the word. It's that you were carrying self-determination with you. You are not losing because God didn't give you what you need. You're losing because you brought all kind of crap you weren't supposed to have. Yeah. 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 Well, that settles in on your soul. He said, crap. Yeah, hang out with me. (laughs) That's why we have to be armed with the hope of the resurrection. Amen. That's why we carry it around. The transforming power of God to bring us back to new life. We have to carry that with us. It's because you die regularly. It's because you fail regularly. It's because you need that with you all of the time. Being brought back to new life again and again and again instead of, instead of some Thomas Kincaid painting about when you got saved thirty years ago is powerful yeah. as opposed to pansyish and a lie and a pretense of perfection. Yeah. The truth is is you're being benefited through your failure process, your restoration process by being given an ongoing testimony that if you're honest about will strengthen other people. Yes.
1: You know, there's a man of God in the word that we admire and love so much. And he understood this very process. King David understood this process exceptionally well. So we want to revisit Psalm 23, and that will lead us to our next major point. But remember this first, that the first one we covered is in this next slide. You already have what you need.
0: Somebody say, I got, it! I got it. You want to do it in a more fun way? Yeah. I got it. it. If you don't understand that, then you're probably a Yankee that has moved here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For true. You got it. We gets
1: it. So let's all go through Psalm
0: 23 together. Here we go, I'm gonna read out of the ESV here. If you're thinking Psalm 23, I know Psalm 23. I even read a book called The Shepherd Psalm. I've heard Psalm 23. Shut up those inner thoughts, okay? Just like, you don't know what you're about to be told. Amen? Say, I'm gonna learn something. But I already got all I need.
1: (laughs) So here we go. You guys ready? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my that God, right. like Chicago
0: says. Close.
1: This sounds exactly like the phrase, you already have everything that you need. Are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah. Look, we're here we're reading from the ESV, but here's how the NIV tends to translate the Hebrew word behind the English word want. Meaning in a variety of definitions for this word, you shall not lack. Amen. You shall not run dry. Oh, that's good news. You shall not be less than. Ah, uh, come on. You shall not go down. Amen. You shall not continue to recede. You shall not have too little. You shall not go hungry. I thought the single guys would have said amen more to that. I was still thinking about not receding. (laughs) And I was voted most likely to recede. (laughs) And here's one of the best ones. And you shall not lack sense. (laughs) (laughs) You already have everything you need In
0: in the house of God. Do you got it? Good. With that in mind, let's pick up in verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Yeah. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, as you engage with this text and it engages with you, why on earth would you ever need your soul restored? <laughs> Verse 1 said you already have everything you need. Why on earth would you ever need to be led to still waters? Why on earth would you ever need to be led back to paths of righteousness for his name's sake? Well, it's not because you didn't have everything you need. It's because of all the things you carried out of Egypt that you definitely do not need. Yeah. The word translated as restores comes from the very same root as the Hebrew word for repentance. Shub or Teshubah. All of these actions described that the shepherd does for you are after you have failed for the thousandth time. He gave you everything you needed, but you just keep veering off of the path because all of the stuff you carry with you, you don't need. You don't fail because you lack anointing. You lack the word, or you lack empowerment. You failed because you have death you don't need, fears you don't need, pride you don't need, satanic opinions you don't need, faithlessness you don't need, self-determination you don't need. Mm -hmm. Even in the progression of the ordering of the Psalms, this whole agonizing, the good agony process is borne out. Psalm 22 is about the suffering king. That is the crucifying ...of the flesh. Can we say that's agonizing? Psalm 23 is about the shepherding king... ...that guides you through this in an orderly process. Gives you everything you need... ...but you keep having to be restored... ...again and again and again. Psalm 24 is about the superior king... ...that triumphs in the life of believers through this process. All of the scripture testifies to the ongoing nature of this process... And weak, penny wasted Christians want to make it a one time event so that they can protect themselves and not ruin their witness from the day they were saved. You don't have a witness like that. You don't have a testimony like that. What you have is a whorish transaction like that. Our success of crossing the Red Sea, it's not final. Our failure in the desert, it's not fatal. It's the courage to continue in the process that counts. Cowards avoid the whole contest. It takes courage to enter into this kind of ongoing relationship. Failures become our glorious teacher. It's not our grotesque undertaker. Failure is the inevitable price in the process of being perfected. That means that failure is never your permanent status. It's just a temporary station where you have to be restored by God. If you really want to accomplish anything for God, you're going to have to get used to facing your failure. I love love you all. I mean, if you don't know that by now, when you really don't care for people, then you say whatever it takes to get a smile and then get out of a conversation. The reason that I engage you the way that I do is I actually care how your lives turn out. Amen. When you're absolutely destroyed because you realize you failed on Monday, one has to wonder whether you've ever practiced this process or not. Yeah. I just can't believe I did that. Then you're pretty stupid and ignorant about the life you've led up to this point. Because it's surely not the first time.
1: I just don't ever want to let him down.
0: All you've ever done is let him down except for those transformative moments. How can we say things like that? Well, the Bible says nothing good dwells in my flesh. Are you still living in your flesh? Yes. Yes and no. You're declaring it dead, but you're very much still a corporeal thing right here. An unglorified thing. So, of course, you're failing. It's not that you're failing. It's what you do in the moments after the failure. Look, cowards never enter that kind of contest. They are pretty, little, perfect, suit-wearing, emasculated cowards that aren't in an actual contest. They just get set on a shelf, look perfect, say the right things, and never let you into this. That's not who we are. No. We were joking about this, like, what do we do if it's an odd Sunday and everybody wore suits? I said, we say exactly what we plan to say because that's who we are. Yeah. We must be Christians that are determined to win or die. Win or die. Isn't that a sign somewhere on one of these walls? I want to win holiness or yeah. die trying. Yes. Win or die. Can I give you a secret though? By necessity, we have to die continually in order to win. Amen. Every failure, every time, every flaw, every time. It's a death that you might be resurrected. Amen. This was never a one-time event. Now, I I hate to confess things like this. Can I give you a good confession? Yes. You need to say it with me. I know that I'm going to fail.
1: I know that I'm going to fail.
0: But that will not be the end of me. That will not be. Okay, now you've all said it out loud and you won't be destroyed when somebody goes, "Mm, I think that was faithlessness. I think that that was pride. You got a lot of satanic opinions rolling around in your mind. That shouldn't be shocking to you. You should be more like, amen. I identified another one. (laughs) Get that thing away from me.
1: (laughs) Look, if you just take a second and you think about your walk, for the past year in those moments those moments where you were blind to something inside of you god began to sift you brought it out to the surface and not through your own noble and righteous efforts it came through somebody else pointing it out to you with the word and once you finally swallowed your pride and crushed your own self-inflated ego You then were liberated from it, and you've been walking in transformational victory ever since. Because the truth is, yeah, failure is not permanent. And when we try to hold on to our own self-righteous perfection, ignoring our own failures, and then thinking that we're never going to commit one again in the future, we're actually denying God from giving us exactly what we need.
0: You're going to find out as we move forward, you're also denying all of your brothers something.
1: Yeah. Well, let's continue in verse 4 of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I want to point out something here. If you hear the voice of Samuel Jackson quoting this verse... You need to stop watching TV.
0: It's ruining your
1: engagement with God's word.
0: The valley of the shadow of death has absolutely nothing to do with being the baddest man in the valley. (laughs) (laughs) This process
1: is a process that Christians all think they understand so well, but almost never display in their own lives. The valley of the shadow of death is one of those battles that you've been ready for since you left Egypt. Your encounter with this valley has been arranged by your heavenly father who wants to show you what you are carrying, but that will be crucified, that will be transformed, and will be turned into something that's actually useful for God. If you
0: find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death, who arranged for you to be there? The Lord. He set up your battles in the order you're supposed to face them. And I'm going to tell you the truth. They're cyclical. You don't go yeah. through this valley one time. You go through this valley many times and it's useful. Very useful. Look, while, while you
1: stay in Psalm 23, I want to get real with you for a moment. Can I get real with you? Even if you said no, I do it anyway. I am going to quote 2 Corinthians 1, 9 through 10. You stay in Psalm 23. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again
0: on him. We have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Somebody say that's good. good. Somebody say that's a cyclical process.
1: It's a cyclical cyclical process. process.
0: So let me tell you what this has looked
1: like for me. I face the sentence of death in my marriage. I face the sentence of death in ministry activities, in the management of my own children, and just truth be told, in nearly every area of my life. This happened every time Fear, double-mindedness, paralysis struck me, and my very own thoughts of inadequacy declared their sentence upon me as if I didn't already have everything I needed. The truth is, I have always had everything I needed since day one. I just also had things I did not need, and God is addressing it. When I have felt the sentence of death, I have learned not to rely on myself, but on God who raises the dead. Amen. Come on. That that is the, the superior and supreme of all conquering. I have gained his confidence that says he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. I have learned to love the agony of death. Because that is where I've learned to set my hope that he will continue to deliver us. That every cycle through this, he is going to be right there to do what he's always done. Deliver. Let me tell you something. This is not our loss when we go through this. This is our incredible gain that God is giving us. Jesus to me is the one pearl of great price. For which I would gladly lose all that I have. Meaning most of this stuff I shouldn't have been carrying around anyway. Like double-mindedness, paralysis, and inadequacy. You know what this does? This frees me to move in faith that displaces the what-if fears that I have.
0: Anybody know what those are? What if they say this? What if this happens? What if I get sick and die? What What if? What if? What if? Any battle you face is one that God has already arranged in advance for you, and you already had everything you (laughs) needed. You're just carrying around all kind of things that you don't need, and you know what that does? It steals your capacity to do what God told you to do. It does. It does. Look, our king has so
1: completely won our love that our lives are for him and for him alone. They don't belong to anything else. To his glory, we would live. And in defense of his gospel, we would die. He is the pattern of our life. The model after which we have sculpted our character. Every single moment of sculpting loss has actually served the cause of gaining his image within us. Agonizing, the good agony means staring death in the face and beating your chest and saying, I'm not afraid. My God has delivered me
0: and he will continue to deliver me. Beating your chest, looking in the face of failure and saying, I'm not afraid. The reason that pretty little packaged Christians cannot talk about their failures is they are afraid. They're scared to death it will define them. They're scared to to death that it will be the feature by which all of their reputation is defined. Which makes them cowards. I actually believe in the transforming power of God. I actually believe that in any situation, failure is a temporary status, not a permanent station. So I'm not scared to let you know about them. Matthew's not scared to let you know about them. We actually find it... Useful because I kind of suspect you may have failed as well. The battles that occur repetitively and cyclically in the valley of the shadow of death reveal that although the Father has given us everything we need, we are still carrying around enemies that we definitely do not need. Think through the last year. When you struggled to trust your pastors, when you don't believe that members of this community have your best interest in mind, When you live in faithless fear about your children's future. When you're despondent because the one you were attracted to married someone else. When you quote all of the right passages, but bite your nails in anxiety. Mm. You're in a battle of your life, standing in the midst of the shadow of death. This is where you find out all the things that God is sifting away from you. Yeah. Can you identify him? He's sifting them away so that you can be an effective minister. This is our second major point today. Sifting identifies what God is cutting away so that you are continually transformed. It's an important point. Otherwise, your transformation stops. We need these. Let's pick up in verse 5 to see the scripture describe it in action. You prepare a table before me. Everybody so far so good? Mm -hmm. In the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. See, the table has already been set in your life and you have everything that you need. The valley of the shadow of death has sifted you so that you can see the things that you don't need but have been with you since the beginning. They are literally sitting at the table with you as enemies. It's much like a Thanksgiving meal in my home growing up. But what does our loving father do? Does he throw you away? Does he disqualify you? Does he just sweep it under the rug? No, he doesn't do those things. What does the verse say? He anoints your head with oil so that supernatural transformation can then overflow your cup. This is when you truly become useful to him as a minister. The very thing that you thought would disqualify you is the thing that qualifies you to minister to someone else. You'll spend the rest of your life sharing the transformational power and testimonies that involve, hear this, the specific area of your failure. And how the Lord has transformed you right out of it. Yeah. So that you can look at others and say he'll do it for you too. Yeah, only three people think that's neat because some of you are still scared it's your defining feature. That's exactly. It. You bristle. I think he's talking about me. Of course I'm talking about you. Who should I be talking to today? Ed Young doesn't want to hear what I have to say. Joel Osteen doesn't want to hear what I have to say. I thought you came here to hear a word for you when you've had this repetitive cyclical experience, then and only then can you lead others into this kind of experience. This is what makes my friend Matthew such an effective minister of the gospel. He does, he does not falsely present the pretense of perfection. Matt doesn't look at you and just go, yes, it's all wonderful. It's okay. No, we're all good here. He's a man that is being perfected. He beats his chest. He stares death in the face and he yells, I'm not afraid. This is agonizing for anyone that engages in this kind of process, but it's also beautiful, useful, praiseworthy. And it is how we are going to win this glorious contest. Yes. Let's look at verse six now. Surely
1: Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know what this verse is? This verse is my testimony. This verse is your testimony. If you're not a coward that avoids the whole contest, then you can know with certainty that goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You have the certainty that you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a good word. So say the title of today's sermon with me, saints. Sifting sets the table. Here's the point. You left Egypt with the genuine anointing ready for every battle. Since day one, you've had everything that you need to face the battles. The Lord has arranged them in orderly fashion, so that you can see the flies in the oil that you've been carrying around with
0: you the whole time. Not that you don't have good anointing oil; it's that you got little contaminants in it that have got to get sifted out—satanic <laughs> thoughts, pride, all kinds of things. Yes, all kinds. All kinds. Self
1: determination—you got to get rid of it. In the sifting valley of death you sit at a table with your enemies and here's what you're doing you're looking them dead in the eye
0: you eyeballing me boy yeah I'm not afraid
1: yeah straight when you're doing this and you're looking your enemy right in the eye this is agonizing pressing and glorious because the Lord reveals more anointing transformation that overflows to everyone around you. This is how the Lord makes ministers. Come on. You've heard the call. You have God speak to you about this next year. 2022 is the year that you will all work in ministry. Why is it that Nick and Lindy's message resonated with you so much? Because it identifies the very things that need to be removed in order to be effective ministers. What have we been doing for 20 years? We have been laboring, striving, agonizing the good agony to raise you up to do what we do. And God is performing his transformational power at work in you as you put these things into practice. It's
0: going to be a good year. Look, when you think of a leader... It's impossible not to think of Peter. Yeah. I know out of all the biblical figures in the Bible, he's the one that I most identify with. He's, he's the one that I love. Because all of his exploits and all of his failures and a few of his successes are in full view before the whole world. I think that's brave. I love it. Peter's mentioned 176 times in the Newer Testament. And that doesn't include his alternative names like Cephas, Simon, Simon Barjona, By way of comparison, the name John refers to a bunch of people. The baptizer, son of Zebedee, John, Mark, all of those those guys. And it's only mentioned 53 times in the Bible. The name James refers to several men as well. The brother of Jesus, the son of Zebedee, etc. And yet, James only appears 42 times. Even when you combine John and James, we come nowhere near the prominence of Peter's portrayal in the Newer Testament. Can you all see that it's not just the prominence of his name being mentioned, though, check out this slide in Luke five. All of the disciples are complaining. They're upset because they're having to work through the night and now go back out and put out their nets. But Peter's the first among his companions to boldly repent in John six. Everybody's upset because Jesus has talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. All 12 are there, but it's Peter who says, where would I go? You have the very words of life. In Matthew 16, all of the disciples are asked. But Peter's the one that answers. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. In Matthew 14, they're all in the boat, but Peter's the one that gets out. They all have the same opportunity, but Peter got out of the boat. In Matthew 26, everybody is sleeping. But Jesus asked only Peter, could you not keep watch? In John 18, I mean, it's a little bit like, I understand them, but you, Peter? (laughs) In John 18, Peter strikes with his sword, cuts off Malchus's ear. In John 21, Jesus is on the shore. Everybody wants to go to Jesus, but Peter just flat out hops in the water. Peter... Is a standout figure in the scripture. It's not the only that he is
1: mentioned prominently, or that Peter showed leadership initiative. Let's look at the next slide. In Matthew 14 30, this is a list of Peter's recorded failures. Peter
0: jumps out the boat to go meet Jesus, and he sank. How'd you like that written in the best selling book of all time? You tried
1: and you failed. Matthew 16. Peter is rebuked and not rebuked in this little private conversation. Rebuked in front of all of his peers and for us to read. With the words, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> yeah. John 13:8, Peter refused to let Jesus wash his feet. He's like, oh, I'll wash my whole body. No, Lord, never. Man. What the scripture says. Another recorded failure. Matthew twenty six forty through forty three, Peter slept through the last prayer hours with Jesus at the culmination, at the pinnacle of what Jesus was going to do. He fell asleep, and it's written about for you to read. <laughs> right, John eighteen ten, Peter in his own strength of his right arm
0: cut off Malchus's ear. This is the testimony all Christians want. That they took a violent weapon and hacked off somebody's ear at hours from being on the cross. Right. It would be a YouTube video. The Jesus disciple
1: slays temple guard. (laughs) Galatians 2.11. Peter's hypocrisy is rebuked publicly. Paul is recounting a circumstance where he shows favoritism and is acting in a cowardly manner. And Paul calls him out for it. In John 18, Peter denies Jesus three times. It's what Jesus said was going to happen, and it came to pass, showing a failure that occurred in, in Peter. Look, the biblical truth is that Peter did not become a leader because he did not fail. Peter was made into an anointed leader through his failure.
0: Come on, somebody.
1: How do you become a leader? It is through your failure. Through it. Remember, all these things occurred in front of his friends, in front of his family, in front of his peers. More than that, they were written down in the best-selling book of all time. It's that word of God that
0: you have sitting on your lap. And that, those events were recorded by Peter's friends. Yeah, you have to engage with that for a minute. It's not just that you know that these things happen. It's not just that Paul rebuked Peter to his face. It's not that. It's not that everybody knew about it in their community. It was written into the best-selling book of all time. And you were reading about it. And you were benefited by it. So how can we hide our own failures?
1: Cannot. He was made an anointed leader through his failure. And that being put out in public fashion. Look, clearly... Let's establish something here. Peter was saved early in Jesus' ministry and he had everything that he needed. But the truth is that scripture demonstrates he also had many things that he did not need. The agonizing battle in the shadow of death revealed that Peter had flies in the anointing oil and enemies at his table. Peter had his faithlessness exposed. He sank. Peter's false expectations were exposed.
0: Peter was rebuked. Peter's obstinance was exposed. This is him refusing to wash Jesus' feet. Peter's slothfulness was exposed. Sleepy nappy time at prayer time.
1: (laughs) Peter's self-reliance was exposed.
0: I'll cut that dude's ear off.
1: His hypocrisy. Was exposed.
0: I'm not going to let others see me do this, even though I know I'm free to do it because I'm scared of what they'll think.
1: Ultimately, Peter's fear was exposed.
0: That's why he denied Jesus. I'm sure Peter didn't think of himself as a fearful man, but in the sifting process, he had to come face to face with the fact that there was more fear in him than he wanted there to be. Mm-hmm. This is all because Peter sucked, Right. I mean, Peter's beneath you people. Of course not. The loving father provided Peter with everything that he needed, and then he arranged the battles in an orderly fashion so that Peter could discover all of the things that needed to be sifted out of him. That's why this process works the way that it does. The sifting caused Peter to sit at a prepared table in the presence of his enemies, those failures he had been carrying with him. And receive transformational anointing that we each need in every season of our lives. Peter then had real genuine transformative power that he could minister to other men with through the same kind of circumstances. Let me show you what I mean. We're going to be in Luke 22, and we're going to start in 31. This is a theme that's been being preached about for a little while, but I think we left some meat on the bone that I want you to understand. We're 53 minutes in. Can you... Focus with me just a little bit. It might change your life. It might improve your testimony. It might allow you to experience actual triumph. Amen. Simon, Simon. And if Jesus says your name twice. <laughs> Satan has asked, asked to sift all of you as wheat. Satan is asking to sift whom? All, all of you. the disciples as wheat. It's not just Satan's desire that this happens. The Father has arranged these battles in the order that they're supposed to come. Satan desired to sift every one of the disciples, but the loving Father only allowed the battle to occur when it would be beneficial for each one of them to have it. In this sifting, Peter specifically found out what had to be cut away from him to continue in the transformative power of God. This next verse is one we have to pay serious attention to. Somebody say, I got it. it. But I have prayed for you, Simon. Everybody's going to be sifted, but Jesus now says, I pray for you as an individual. That your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. See, Peter experienced temporary failure. Not a permanent status change. In the agonizing experience, Jesus predicted that Peter would turn back. This was a predestined battle. This was a battle that Jesus knew that he would lose. And it would reveal something to Peter that had to be cut away. And then Jesus predicts he will turn back. Oh man, that's everything. Now, do you remember that in Psalm 23, 3, the phrase, he restores my soul? Or if you like the King Jimmy, he restoreth my soul. That word was derived from the Hebrew word for repentance. Think about that here, because the words turn back are Greek equivalent. See, the way that it restores your soul is not that you have everything you need and you never have any problems. It's that you have everything you need and you have a bunch of garbage you don't need. And every time you lose a battle because of it, you turn back and he restores your soul. It's the very same concept. It's when you're seated at the table with your enemies of your own failure that you get to turn and be anointed and transformed and have an overflowing cup to do exactly what this verse says. Strengthen your brothers. If you don't mind, would you put Luke twenty-two thirty-two 32 back on the screen? Luke twenty-two thirty-two. 32. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith might not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Saints, what is it that you then have to strengthen your brothers with? You have anointing to overcome the failure that you just had. And guess what your brothers also have? And they're also going to be sifted. See, when you're too freaking pretentious, too prideful, too pretty, too perfect, too inwardly small to talk about your failure... You are robbing your brothers of a chance to be strengthened. Come on. You think it's only us that get to stand up and talk about our failures, but you get to sit back in the cowardly safe zone? It is in the exposing of our failure and what God has done with us that actually strengthens our brother. That's why all of the men in the Bible have their failures recorded. But you get to keep yours private? Not at all.
1: Look, this brings us to our third and, mo- and major point. Let's put up the next slide. Turn in transformation to strengthen your brothers.
0: What are we going to do? Turn. turn in transformation. Then what are we going to do? Strengthen. Strengthen our brothers. Make the turn and strengthen your brother.
1: Look, you may not realize it. But this is how all genuine ministry is done. And it's the very thing that the ancients were commended for. Let's put this next slide. This is Hebrews 11.1 in the Amplified. Now faith is the assurance. hypostasis, The confirmation. The title deed. Of the things we hope for. Being the proof. Electros. Of things. Pragma. We do not see. And the conviction of Their reality, faith, perceiving as real fact, what is not revealed to the senses. Look, some of you will remember this concept from our studies on the book of Daniel. This verse is everything when you find yourself sitting at the table with your enemies that are your failures and have. And you have to exhibit faith in that very moment. So let's review the three highlighted words that were so important to your future ministry. The first of these words is hypostasis. Ultimately, what we're pointing out is the definition that says what really exists under any appearance. So we're going to plug this definition into Hebrews 11.1 and it sounds something like this. Now, faith is the assurance of what really exists under any appearance. The confirmation of the title deed and the things we hope for being the proof of things we do not see and conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact, what is not revealed to the senses. When you're staring at your obvious failures and are tempted to ignore them, diminish them, or even conceal them, you have to have the assurance of the word of God that what really exists under this present appearance Is you are about to be anointed to
0: transformation. What is the hypostasis? It's knowing that in the midst of your failure, you are still about to be transformed. Yeah. The underlying reality is this is temporary. It's not permanent. I'm going to be transformed. How do you prove that you have that kind of faith? You don't hide your present position. Amen. Yes, I got it wrong. Yes, I, I'm still struggling with this. Watch me now. I'm not afraid. Amen. God is going to change it. Amen. And he'll change it for you too. Amen.
1: Saints, if you ignore your failures, if you diminish them, or if you conceal them, how can you say that you have assurance of what really exists under the present appearance? No, it is the open testimony of your failure that gets you to be able to express the assurance of transformation declare with confidence of what God is doing in the moment of that failure, that transformation is coming and that transformation is what strengthens your brothers who also need that same transformation.
0: Somebody say, I want to be transformed. I want to be I'm going to help my brothers be transformed. See, you're going to do this by openly acknowledging all of your struggles. And then everybody gets to watch their transformation and go, I can do it like that. God did it for him. He did it for him. He'll do it for me. I'm not alone. We can't, I, know, I know what really lies beneath this present situation. The next important word is electos. It's the manifestation of the truth of that charge and the results to be reaped. When you plug this into Hebrews 11.1 1 and the Amplified, it, it would sound like now faith is the assurance of what really exists under any appearance. The confirmation, the title deed to your transformation. Yeah. Even though you have the proof and the manifestation of the truth that you have failed. But you know the results you will still reap. Yeah. Come on, man. In every failure, you must start to gain assurance of what really exists under any appearance. Namely, I'm about to be transformed. This comes from facing the fact or the truth of the charge and still know that you will re- reap heavenly results. Yeah. Our God is able to raise even the dead. This is why Abraham faced the fact that his body was dead. That his wife's womb was dead. And yet he reasoned God would perform what he had promised. Yeah. Faith says, I'm making the turn, and I have a title deed to even more anointing. Hey, stand back and watch my cup overflow. Amen. This can never be done by hiding your failures and ignoring them. We turn in faith. We openly acknowledge. We don't do that just because it's confession. We do it because we want the world to watch the transformative power overflow from us, and our brothers need it too. We strengthen our brothers. We do. Let's
1: look at the third word. And it's probably the most important. It's pragma. To do, perform, a thing done or to be done. A deed. Faith is not about going to heaven. Faith is knowing exactly how heaven wants you to act in any given circumstance. The whole reason that your loving father allowed you to enter into this battle was that he arranged it to illustrate through sifting Something that he wanted to cut away from your life. Here's the promise. He will then anoint you to strengthen your brothers who
0: it will also be sifted in the very same ways that you have. Look, when you plug pragma, which is things, deeds, it's, it's knowing what you must do. It's not knowing you'll go to heaven. That's a ridiculous farce. It's knowing what heaven wants you to do. You have the Hebrews 11 one even more amplified. Yeah. Now faith is the assurance of what really exists under any appearance. The confirmation, the title deed of things we hope for being the proof, the manifestation of the truth of the charge. And the results that will be reaped of things, of the deeds that must be done. Even though we do not see the conviction of the reality. Your faith has to perceive as real fact what's not revealed to your senses. Yeah. You can stand in a moment and feel lower than lower than dirt. Yeah. You could skydive off of a nickel and hang your feet off of a dime. That can be how you feel. But faith grabs hold of the reality that he gave you everything you needed in the beginning. And right now, all that's happening is something's being cut away and your cup is about to overflow with transformation. Amen. That is the Christian agony. That is agonizing the good fight. Notice that every part of this process is done in contrast with what your senses are telling yeah. you. It's when we recognize that we have everything we need and we enter into sifting, agonizing battles that show us the things that we definitely do not need, the things that are being sifted away, that we can look into the eyes of our failures, beat our chest and say, I am not afraid. I have an assurance. I have an assurance of transformation. I have the manifestation of the truth that I failed, but also the confidence that I will reap Transformation. Amen. It doesn't matter how I feel. I know now the pragma. What I must do. I will use this very testimony. To strengthen my brothers. That's faith.
1: Yeah. Are you guys wanting. That transformation. That then empowers you to go strengthen your brothers. Let's look at this next verse. In Hebrews 11. 11.2. 11, this is what the ancients. Were commended for. Look what we're talking about. Is what every one of the ancients. Were commended for. They didn't try to get perfected. In private. Their very stories are written. For the entire world. To see. They didn't cling to the pretense. Of their present perfection. What they did. Is that they. Acted. In faith. That led to transformation and strengthen their brothers. Are any of you strengthened when you read their stories? This is how this process works. The testimony published with the good, with the bad, and with the ugly details. And then everybody is strengthened by the
0: transforming power of God because they heard it. What would your lives be like if you didn't get to read their testimonies? Are we really then going to deprive everybody else from our true testimony of last week, mm. of last month? No. Or is your testimony simply what happened up to the cross? Because I think we did a whole remember series that debunked that ridiculous Christian myth. Your testimony is what God's been saving you from and restoring your soul in since the cross. Yeah. yeah. And if you can't think of anything this year that you want to share with your brothers, then something's wrong with your testimony. Every failure is an opportunity to display the transforming power of God. Let's review our slides for a second. You already have what you need. I already have what I need. Sifting identifies what God is cutting away. So that I am continually transformed. I will turn in my transformation to strengthen my brothers. If you're with me on one of three slides, that's an F. If you're with me on two of three slides, still an F by any reasonable grading scale. Maybe in today's safe zone, padded environment, that's probably an (laughs) A+. We need three of three slides here. Amen. Amen. That's why God gave us the message and the prophecies testified to it before the service. And those men did not know. Thank you, Justin Linton. Amen. This is how Hebrews 11 gives the testimony for your strengthening. In verse 34, quench the fury of flames, escape the edge of the sword whose weaknesses were turned to strength. None of the ancients were men without weaknesses. They were men that faced their weaknesses and we transformed into a strengthening agent for the kingdom of God. Amen. You will never be an effective minister by skipping the first step. You have to sit at the sifting table. You have to stare your weakness in the eye. Beat your chest. Say, I am not afraid. My God will transform me. Amen. And then this becomes your ongoing, repetitive, cyclical, yeah. strengthening testimony for your brothers. Amen. Yeah. More anointing always comes from more pressing. It's not that you didn't have what you need. It's that you had all of that flesh, all of that concealment that hid what you needed. But a good pressing, a good sifting reveals failures that God overcomes through more transformation. You then have something to strengthen your brothers with in your honest and current testimony of what you have just overcome And I promise that will strengthen your brothers. Amen.
1: I want to share with you what this process did for Peter and then for everyone else. As we pick up in Acts chapter 5, remember that we are within a handful
0: of months from the time of Peter being sifted. It's difficult to ascertain whether it's a couple years or a couple months. But the markers in the scripture seem to indicate that we are well within two years from the time Peter denied Jesus to what you're about to hear in Acts 5. Yeah.
1: We'll pick up in verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them. Even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them as he, as he passed by. Look, if you look if you remember in the verse twelve where we started, all of the apostles are doing miracles. They have all been transformed in the time of when they were all sifted. Their tables were set and the anointing of transformation was overflowing to everyone around them. They really the really neat thing is that one of those one of whose sifting was published and in agonizing detail
0: was Peter. Grab hold of that for a second. All of the apostles are doing miracles. All of them are, have gone through a time of sifting. Satan desired to sift them all, and they would all be sifted. But you only got to read about Peter's sifting. Yeah. Now, think about all of them doing miracles in general. But the very specific miracles of being healed by a shadow is recorded of the man who had the most exposure. The man who was the most transparent. Yes. There's some reasons for that. So, yeah, why? Why? Why is
1: it that that happened for Peter specifically? It's because he was not allowed to hide any detail of his agonizing battle. And it was published for the whole world to read about. This meant that there was no man on earth more more verifiably, I'm talking about documented and accounted, who was transformed than Peter himself. And that made him chief among strengthening forces in the early church.
0: Which is why it's so prominent in the scripture. Yeah. It's because you can document the extent to which he was transformed. Somehow or another, these puny peon Christians have decided that a good testimony is I've loved the Lord all my life. And these last so many decades, it's all just been the Lord helping me. Uh, Amen. It is pathetically weak. You need to carve it right out of your life. It's not true. And if it is true, you're probably not in Christ. Yeah. The best testimony is the one that documents, exposes, publishes the transformative power of God as illustrated in every month of your life. Yeah. That's why Peter is prominent. That's why Peter's shadow is healing people.
1: You know what? Just one thing that comes to mind. There's a big difference between the recording of your, your struggles and failures in a dear diary versus a public exposure of dear brothers. That public exposure is what is going to lead to a powerful transformation that empowers you to strengthen your brothers.
0: Because Matthew gets ready to read Second uh, Peter, which we're right at our close here, understand we are not looking for some event, and a service. We don't want you to stand up on your chair and go, hey, y'all, I sucked last week, but this week I'm supernatural. Uh, If you need to do that because you're you're still really working at your courage, and so you're going to vacillate around, and if you don't do this, then you won't be able to, then whatever, we'll put up with it. What we're talking about is in 2022, as you minister in your home, the way that you minister in your home is through your actual, real testimony. Hey, man, yes. I've been cross with the pastors, but do you know what? The Lord put me through a time of sifting, and here's what I found. I've been transformed. Hey, man, I also got upset about relationships, but, but here's what God showed me and what he did. Hey, man, you, you know what? I had a hard time with the way that... Such and such went down in church, but here's what God did for me. The difference between this and commiserating is when you all get together and you're, yeah, you're right. Matt sucks. Eric sucks worse and Wade's handsome. Okay. When you get together and you stick with what the failure is, that's not a testimony. Testimony is when you turn on it. You grab that bear by the throat. You kill it. Testimony is how God has brought you out of it. And I want to tell you the truth. We need each other's testimonies. There's nobody in this room that doesn't have one unless you're outside of Christ. Yeah. But if you're inside of Christ, this is how we go from strength to strength. We, we are sharing the transformative power of God. That's what's happening. Amen.
1: We're going to read to you out of Second Peter 1 and pick up in verse 3. And I want you to hear as he writes his experience of going through the sifting process, experiencing the transformation and the confidence to strengthen his brothers because he knows the result of what he's going to reap. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires.
0: Look, Peter could say he's given us everything we need because he found out everything that had to be cut away from him. He found out that the anointing was enough for him. He found out that his love for Jesus was enough for him. His problem was all of those other things he had that needed to be exposed. And let's just be honest. He didn't know that he had them. Yeah. He didn't understand. I get it. This is an agonizing process of sinful self-discovery. That's what sifting does. Mm-hmm. But do, do you realize everybody in the room is going through it? And we are encouraged to hear how God's power entered into The sentence of death in your marriage, entered into the sentence of death in your children, entered into your ruined behavior at your workplace, how it entered into every faithless thing and rescued you out of it. Because you know what? I'll be sifted the same week in many of the same ways. Your stories strengthen the brothers. It does something else. It gets rid of wicked self-righteousness passed off through Christian language in the church. I'm going to just tell you right up front, I hate the testimony. I've loved the Lord all my life. That is a lie. It's not true. If you came out of utero saved and every moment since you were saved has been wonderful, you are a coward that has not entered into the contest. We're looking for brave Christians, brave Christians that will strengthen their brothers. We lost our time clock, which could be a good or bad thing. Uh, I I genuinely feel like we are to close here. I just want to tell you that if you go through Ephesians four, was Ephesians written to a satanic community? No. Was Ephesians written to the most pagan people on earth or was he writing to believers? But he still tells them they have to put off falsehood. Why? Because there were people in the church that were speaking falsehoods. He says you have to turn and speak truthfully. To strengthen your brothers. Amen. See, this is the process we're talking about. He, he says, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Why? Because they were letting the sun go down while they were angry. But but restore each other in shalom. In other words, strengthen your brothers. He said, Hey man, you guys who've been stealing, stop it. He had to say that to Christians. Do something useful with your hands. Be transformed so that you have something to share, he says. Strengthen your brothers. It is always the same process. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Why? Because it was but only what is useful for building others up according to their needs. Strengthen your brothers. Do you see this turn constantly? When in your sifting, you find things that you should not have. You turn on it, are transformed, and then immediately share it with your brothers. Then 2022 will be the most fantastic, exponential, Ministry growth in this church because you will all be doing what you see your pastors demonstrate. Our whole lives have been on display before the whole world. I've literally told you about every nasty failure that I can think of. And if I didn't, it's just because I thought it might entice you to do it. This year at the bonfire, the Lord spoke to me right at the end and I wasn't expecting it. And in full transparency, I came in tired, came in beat up, I was worn out, and Jen, it seemed like she was going to die that week, and and I'm not speaking metaphorically. It was a real concern, but he told me out of Exodus 40, right at the end of the bonfire in the midst of weakness and desperation and a little bit of frustration because it's weird for me to be in the church, and after so many years, I trust everybody. I'm so excited. This church is in the hands of everyone else here. It's your church, but I really Wasn't sure what was going on. So I was in an awkward place. And he spoke to me in Exodus 40. Bring the table. It's verse 4. And set out what belongs on it. Then bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. He told us to set the table this year. Well, it's sifting that sets the table. It shows you what offerings you're going to give to the Lord. And then in Exodus 40 and 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When you let sifting set the table of your testimony, when you let your real experience and the transformative power of God that you've interacted with because of your grotesque failure, when you set that out on the table for people, God's glory cloud will so fill this tabernacle That we won't be able to do our own work. We'll only be doing his work. That's what I want for this church. That's what I want for my brothers. This is not getting together and commiserating about your failings. This is only presenting the failing that God has turned into triumph. It's a testimony of resurrection power. Maybe you need resurrection power today. I often do. Maybe the sifting process in your life has revealed something that you're a little bit scared will never leave you. That's why we need our brother's testimonies. What we're looking for you today is at the altar to deal honestly with what's been sifted in your life over this last year. Ask yourself, has it in fact been transformed? If it has, that becomes a testimony for everybody. If it has not, then that becomes a prayer request in front of everybody. Okay? By everybody, I mean in your daily lives, in your home, not, not here, not this morning. At the altar, it would be between you and God. What you do when you get up from the altar, though, is you make the turn and you go strengthen your brothers. If you want to be an effective minister, this is how it's done. It's the only way that it's done. And if you don't want to do it, then go join the pretty suit, tie, clan, the ridiculous Christian bookstore Christians. You can have a great Facebook ministry or something worthless like that. If you want the real, genuine, glorious, beautiful, praiseworthy contest and struggle that results in triumphant power overflowing to everybody, then The table is set right in the presence of your enemy. That's where the cup overflows. I'm going to pray for you and you do whatever you feel like you need to do. You are greatly loved or we would not take the time to do this. I'm hammering certain nails in the church because I know what you need. I've done this for a while. If you've been tricked into believing that a dislike or Matthew dislikes or we're just picking on you, you need to get cured of your stupidness. I don't have any problem walking straight up to somebody and saying, get out. We don't want you here. If I felt that way, I would have already said that to you. The same way you would say it about your living room. If somebody you didn't want in your living room was in your living room. We cherish you. We just know what it takes. Not only for your transformation, but for everybody to benefit from it. Because we're a corporate body building each other up. Father, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to share your word. It is a privilege. Lord, these are are your sons and daughters. They are my brothers and sisters. Lord, we so need each other. We're asking for your authentic work to be done here. Lord, that we might carry authentic testimony right out of it. We are looking for your transformation to spread through every area of our lives, through every areas of this community, and beyond into the world. We love you and we entrust this time to the working of your spirit.